that takes such a small amount and it's so easy to move the scales too far when we do it. And so we want to make sure we're doing it correctly and we're working on that system. Global shortages are causing farm input costs to skyrocket. A better way to farm shows you how to take control of inputs and maximize profits so you can farm the way you want. Now, from America's heartland, here's your host. Rod here at A Better Way to Farm. We hope you guys are having a great holiday season. You know, here at A Better Way to Farm, our goal is to help you increase yields and improve profits. I want to put a shout out right now. We've got some great podcasts that are getting ready to drop from a lot of different experts in different areas, and you're going to want to check those out. A lot of interviews of people who are very talented in ways that will help you make your farming operation go smoother, run better, and transition to the next generation. Today, as we get close to the end here, we're going to do day 11, which are going to be molly and chlorine. We're going to be working on zinc, and then we're going to do a wrap-up sometime between now and Christmas, I think. We'll do a, a 13th day just to kind of tie it all together. We appreciate you guys uh, tuning in, coming through with all of this and and taking part. It's been a pleasure to uh, get to do this with you, and I hope that it's brought you guys some good. So let's talk about these two lesser known, shall we say, uh, micronutrients, one being molly, the other being chlorine. I'm going to do them one at a time, so I'll start with molly first. Molly is required to form the enzyme nitrate reductus, which reduces nitrates to ammonium in the plant. Guys, this is important. Remember, I've talked about in nitrogen, we really prefer to have our our nitrogen go into the plant 50-50 nitrate, 50% ammonium, because that's how the plant handles it the best, and you get your best yields from having your nitrogen in those two different forms when it goes in. And so this nitrate reductus actually will take those nitrates and convert them back to the ammonium form if we've happened to mess up and get too many nitrates in there. They also aid in the formation of legume nodules, and they're needed to convert inorganic phosphates to organic forms in the plant. In other words, they help that plant turn phosphorus into a form that it can use. As we take a look at molly here, it is the lesser known, and I I will just share with you that I have a friend up in Illinois who I respect very much. He's super advanced on things, but molly can be an interesting creature because he tried molly the first year that we met, He had used molly as an additive, and he had had tremendous results. I mean, fantastic results with it. And we kind of thought that he had it all figured out. And then the next year, he used it and basically got zero, almost nothing. And so we're still figuring out how to make this thing work. And I can tell you that from my standpoint, I'm working with the company to start figuring out a soil test so we can actually make recommendations because I think a blanket recommendation could be probably the worst thing in the world using molly because it takes such a small amount and it's so easy to move the scales too far when we do it. And so we want to make sure we're doing it correctly and we're working on that system. As we take a look at this product, what can we find out about it? Well, if we look into the agronomy handbook from Midwest Labs, they say that, number one, your molly deficiencies will typically be in acidic, sandy soils. Soil pH is the most influential factor affecting availability. And that's going to come back, guys, again and again and again out of all the quote the deals I'm going to quote today. And, guys, I'm using these books because if I cite my sources, then it's not me giving you an opinion. And this industry is laced with opinions. And this is the studying of tremendous companies, of tremendous individuals who've dedicated their life and their years to doing this. So as we talk about this here, it says that 
Unlike other micronutrients, the availability of moly increases as the soil pH goes up. And it increases until it gets up to 7.0, and then actually above 7.0, it continues to increase. Most moly deficiencies are corrected by limine. So now we tie back into another nutrient, we go back into calcium, okay? And guys, we've talked about how they all interact. Well, having our calcium correct and our pH, and those are not always the same thing, having the calcium level correct and the pH level correct is going to make the moly more available. And that's a great thing to just God take care of working that out. When we do the right thing, we'll be rewarded by the right thing happening. It also says that moly is needed for the symbiotic fixation of nitrogen by legumes. And again, it is vital for the reduction of nitrates and in the synthesis of proteins in all plants, all plants. Looking at the fertilizer handbook from the Fertilizer Institute, when they talk about moly in here, they again, and I'm gonna do this several times, I wanna drive this home. Levels of available molly are lower in acid soils than they are alkaline. Thus, liming of acid soils may correct your molly deficiency. Plants requirements for molly are much lower than any of the other micronutrients, however, they are very important. They're higher for legumes than they are any other crop. Symptoms of a moly deficiency will be similar to those of nitrogen. Why? Because actually the moly creates, the lack of moly actually creates a lack of nitrogen. So the lack of moly is a nitrogen deficiency. And that's especially in legumes. You can look for scorching and rolling or cupping of leaves. These are characteristic of your more severe moly deficiencies. Guys, usual rates for using moly are very low. Anywhere from one half of an ounce to in a big need up to five ounces per acre. Guys, this is like a micro micronutrient. We need this in really small quantities and we wanna make sure that's how we're applying it. And it's not something that we just wanna go and shotgun because that will not serve us very well. Coming out of the Western Fertilizer Handbook, moly is associated with nitrogen utilization. Very small amounts are needed. However, plants containing excess moly are toxic to livestock. There's something that we want to keep in mind. Oftentimes, moly deficient plants are stunted and yellow, and it closely resembles your nitrogen deficiency. And so we start looking at this product again. Not only can it be toxic to the plants, it can be toxic to the animals. Hey, by the way, uh, someone, I, we appreciate you guys. We read every comment. We literally do. Uh, Karen spends hours reading these and we answer questions to the best of our ability. And someone asked about Dr. Albrecht and I ordered the Albrecht papers. It's actually, when you say Albrecht papers, you're kind of thinking like maybe a mm, term paper, 31 sheets. No, it's eight books. I'm trying to work my way through those, but I can't wait to see what he has to say about all of these things. So we can look forward to that in the uh, December of 2023, working from the soil up says low soil pH can receive excessive amounts of elements such as manganese, copper, and boron. On certain soils, these elements can become toxic in availability. That's very rare, but it can. However, moly is the only trace element that becomes less available under a low pH. And guys, legumes are in particular can be deficient in moly, and especially if the soil pH gets below 6.5. I can't stress enough, guys, the first dollar to spend is correct the soil pH, correct the calcium in your soil, making sure that you have what you need there because it makes everything else work. Why do you want to apply moly when you can just put on the lime and it will get 
the moly to come out. Why do you want to apply some other micronutrient when actually just applying the lime will make it more available? Why do you want to apply a lot of phosphorus when having your lime, your pH correct, will make it more available? I'm going to recommend that we do the right thing. I've quoted it many times. It says right here, it is never wrong to do the right thing. I keep that on my desk pad as a constant reminder for us to keep doing the right thing and working hard. As we look here at Neil's book, and I appreciate Neil very much, a shout out to Neil Kinsey, and you guys can get his book or you can take his class. He's been uh, instrumental in our walk here as we've moved forward on, on getting things ready to go. One thing that Neil points out is, guys, is that it's important to understand where there is an excess of copper being unavailable will cause severe scouring in animals. Now, that's important because the Molly product is interrelated with all kinds of other things. Deficiencies in animals created by excess sulfur slows cellulose digestion. It also slows the conversion of nitrogen into protein. Now, he's talking about molly in an animal, and so it's important to have the molly correct in our plants so we get it correct into our animals. But he also pointed out that excess sulfur, too much sulfur, can create a molly deficiency. Now, I'm going to suggest that very few of you have sulfur more than 50 parts per million, but it is worth looking at making sure we're doing it right. He also talks about the fact that we know Molly's big on legumes, right? So soybeans and, and uh, alfalfa would be the two things that come to mind first for me. And when we look at those, a lot of guys are going to say, okay, we know they need it, so why don't we just put some Molly in a seed treatment? And that's not a bad idea. I'm not opposed to that. However, Neil points out this. If you're growing alfalfa and thinking about using an inoculant on the seed, apply the Molly separate to avoid killing the bacteria in your inoculant. In other words, don't premix your molly and your other inoculant, your bacterial inoculant, because the molly will kill those bacteria and you won't get the response from it that you want to get. Guys, the molly product, it, it's something that we don't have a tremendous amount of knowledge on. The base, we're still working on that base. We know we need to check it. There is a soil test available through Midwest Labs. It's about 35 bucks. Uh, you can always run that to take a look and, and see what you've got. And again, we're working towards something there and we hope to have that sometime here in the, in the future as a product that will help guys out, but it's gotta be a very specific targeted use. We wanna make sure we're doing it correctly. I wanna jump into the other half of day 11. And the other half of day 11 is going to be on chlorine. So let's see what our sheet has to say about chlorine. A, it says there's not much information about its functions. That's the opening line. However, the biggest one that I highlighted was the fact that chlorine interferes with phosphorus uptake. Guys, I got to be brutal here. And the brutal reality is there's a lot more damage done from chlorine than there is that help comes from it. Yes, I know, in the book here it says it enhances the maturity in small grains on some soils. And I just wrote the word joke beside it. As we start looking at studies, yes, there was a study done at K-State where they went out and they put chlorine on and they got a yield increase in wheat. It was one study. Now, I'm going to cite some other studies here as we go through this and talk about how they drew the conclusion that the chlorine was working, but they were wrong. I just want to share a quick story with you guys. Over the last 6,000 years, man has evolved. That We've gotten a little bit smarter, hopefully. But let's go back in the day 
3,000 years ago, man's running through the jungle. There's a lion chasing him, and he knows when that lion catches him, it's going to eat him. There's no question about it. When that lion catches him, it's game over. So the guy's running through the jungle. He looks back over his shoulder, and he trips over a tree root, and he smacks his head into a great big tree, and it knocks him out cold. And an hour later, he wakes up, and he's like, hey, cool, I'm still alive. And so what does he say? He says, this tree saved my life. I'm going to worship this tree. He drew the complete wrong conclusion. The reality is a lion only eats what it kills. It will not come up and eat something else that it didn't kill. So when that man knocked himself out cold, the lion drew the conclusion he's dead and he went off to find something else to kill and eat. Oftentimes in agriculture, we have run through the jungle, tripped over root and smacked our head really hard and completely drew the wrong conclusion. And this is one of those places, I'm gonna cite some of these studies here and let you take a look at how they came up with these. Coming out of the Western handbook, talking about chlorine, it is the latest element established as an essential micronutrient in plant life it is believed to stimulate it is believed to stimulate the activity of some enzymes and generally there is no deficiency of chlorine in soils except in the human regions normal rainfall probably supplies more than sufficient chlorine to maintain normal levels in the soil you get enough by accident to take care of it we don't need to reapply it many fertilizers carry chlorine for instance, potassium chloride contains 60% water-soluble potash and has a chlorine content of 40%. With 100 pounds of KCL, we're getting a healthy dose of chlorine, far more than what we need. Schrieffer, in his book, Hands On, talks about chlorine. And what he says is this. And there's something in here that I just want to apply generally to everything. And common sense is always the deal against. Never wrong. Do the right thing. He says that, and he's talking about ground that is low in potash that you're renting. He said, we have a general rule when banding potash. If 50 pounds per acre is exceeded of 0060, and we're on 30-inch rows, we recommend a band four inches to the side of the row. This gives the chlorides time to rinse out and become diluted before they wander into the zone. See, he's worried about getting too much chlorine, too many chlorides into that soil. And he said, into that root zone. And he says, a high salt concentration near the roots will cause damage commonly called fertilizer burn. And he's talking about having this be at least four inches off the row in a row placement situation. Why did we place it in the first place? Because it's accepted, it's known. The fact is, banding is always more efficient. And I had a friend who attended a conference put on by a land-grant university, and the speaker who worked for the university stood up and said, it makes no difference how you apply nutrients. Banded, foliar-fed, broadcast, it doesn't make any difference. To which I responded, I don't mean to be brutal, but that was spoken like a man who has never done anything but draw a government check. I'll be just brutally honest, guys. It is well proven. I mean, it is accepted that even if you're using 0060, and you know I don't like it, but if you're using it, at least band it. But when you band it, you got to be four inches off the row to avoid causing damage. And he says that fertilizer burn is caused by plasmosis, which is the opposite of osmosis. Osmosis, as you guys know, is the plant going out and bringing things into the plant as the as the water seeps in, as the moisture seeps in, it brings the nutrients. Plasmosis and these high salts cause nutrients and water to literally seep out of the roots into the soil. 
So instead of taking up nutrients, when we have plasmosis because we use too much chlorine, we actually have that plant giving off moisture and giving off nutrients as it's sucked back into the dirt. This can cause plant damage ranging from slight retardation of growth to complete dehydration and resulting eventually in the death of the roots in the plant. Guys, you want to waterproof your crop? You want to be more drought tolerant? I'm going to suggest that potassium chloride might not be your product of choice. Again, going back to Neil here on chlorine, talking about what he can say. He says, uh, next, let's consider the trace element chlorine. It is a recent addition to the list of essential micros. We agree on that. Chlorine in the soil, in the form agronomists are talking about, is chloride. It plays a role in photosynthesis. Common deficiency symptoms, again, chlorosis, necrosis, leaf, tip, wilt. Some studies have been done in North Dakota and Minnesota. From research that has been done in the South, chloride can cause gamosis disease in citrus, in first-year lemons, and after 15 years on grapefruit. So now he's going back in and he's going to look at a study that was done. And it's, he starts out saying, when farmers put potassium on these soils, okay, if you just look at measured pounds per acre, they don't seem to be deficient. He's talking about soils in Minnesota because they have a lot of K, tremendous amount of K. However, if their percentage, if their base saturation is below 2%, they're still going to have a deficiency. So if you have high K, high parts per million, this is how you ran through the jungle, tripped over a root, smacked your head, and drew the wrong conclusion. So we have these soils that are high in K in parts per million. And that's relevant because especially when we're checking in a relationship to the magnesium, because we know that's an important ratio, right? But when we're high in K, but we only have a 2% or under base saturation, we are not going to get the K into the plant when we want it. So what happens is in those situations, the farmers go out and because potassium is present in such high amounts, but they put on 0060, they decided that the chloride was providing the yield response. But here's the kicker. He had farmers go out and use 0050, which is potassium sulfate, has no chloride in it. And guess what? They still got the equal response. So if they got the equal response, it wasn't the chloride. It was the potassium that was making a difference. And you guys who work with me, those of you who are watching this that work with me, you know, even if you have high K soils, I'm pushing a high K starter. Why? Because it's what's right for you. Because that K will not become available till 65 degree soil temperature and you ain't waiting that long to plant. And so we want to have some plant available K there. So he goes on and he says, now all of a sudden, agronomists come along saying that chloride gives a crop response to wheat and other crops. What I really wonder is this, since many researchers do not understand and many even reject base saturation percentages and they deal with soils that are below 2% potassium saturation, is it actually the potassium that is given the response while the credit is being given to the chloride? Yeah, absolutely. That's the bottom line, guys. We know that. Now, anytime that we have more than 250 parts per million of chloride show up, there is a possible problem. So we don't want more than 250 parts per million. But by far, the biggest problem occurs when we're over 500 parts, and he's seen them as high as 3,000. Those are going to be big problems. We also find out that uh, if we have a high sodium content, it takes less chloride to become a problem. So anytime you have a 5 to 10% base saturation of sodium, you can expect problems with chloride coming in at a high rate too much. Guys, moline chloride, probably the least too studied 
But if we dig, we can come up with a lot of information. Yes, they're both important, but we've got to make sure that we have the need before we go after it. That's really, really important. I've enjoyed today. I hope you have too. And if you guys have questions, reach out. We're going to attempt to get back to you just as fast as we can. And we look forward to getting to you right away with Zinc and a wrap-up. I hope you guys are having a better day. A better way to farm.com. You're listening on the Verbal Crowd Network. Find more great shows at verbalcrowd.com.